Hey everybody, welcome to episode 45 of the Defend Your Ground podcast. This is Ben, with Executive Director of Blue Ribbon Coalition. I'm here with Simone, our Policy Director, and tonight we are going to dive into the San Rafael Swells planning status. We've got some news from the BLM that they're going to start moving forward on this plan. Um, Simone, you were, I was traveling when this all came out. I, we knew it was coming, but I just wasn't quite available to digest everything. Figured I'd do a podcast this week to dive into it. Um, why don't you update everybody on what happened last week uh, and what we expect to happen here with the San Rafael swell in Utah? Yeah, so I first heard about it about a week ago. Um, it was actually PLIPCO, so Utah Public Lands Coordinating Office. Um, I was talking to an attorney with them, and they told me this was going to be coming out. And we knew the travel management plan. I mean, we, we know from the BLM um, because of a settlement with SUA that they were going to be redoing travel management plans. Um, and we kind of knew the general order that they were going to be doing these plans. So we knew San Rafael Swell was, you know, upcoming. Um, and then last week, at the beginning of the week, I got word that um, they did have, they had finished um, some of their studies for the roads that they needed um, and that they were going to produce the preliminary maps. Um, so technically, nothing official has been started um, with NEPA, with public comments. Um, so then the BLM did release it last week, um, a couple days after I heard about it. Um, so you can see preliminary maps that the BLM has given, but they have not officially opened for public comment. Um, so they've done scoping already. They're using scoping from several years ago. Um, so what they will release is the draft um, environmental okay. assessment. And we're expecting that to officially, like the public comment period to officially open up here in the next month. Um, and then what we're seeing is that they'll probably give a 45 day comment period. So that's when the public can officially submit comments to the BLM um, that are going to be legally considered as they make a decision for which roads should be open, which roads should be closed for what. Um, so as of right now, there is no legal open public comment period that will start um, here in the next little bit. But currently there's nothing. Um, Plipco has put out a, like a form you can go fill out. They're looking for information. We are also going to be looking for that same information um, from people, from users, so that we can use it to help the public draft their comments, to draft our own comment. Um, because as a lot of people are seeing in these preliminary maps that they've put out, there is a lot of closures. Um, so we are concerned about it. We will be tracking it. We'll be diving deep, deeper into it as once things are officially released. But that's the status of it right now. Um, nothing official has started, um, but we will have an action alert form once it is officially released. Um, the other thing that people are talking about is how much time to comment. Um, we're seeing that they'll probably give a 45 day comment period. That's still unsure of what they're really going to give. Um, but what we're going to, we'll ask for an extension on the comment period. Um, the public can ask for that as well. Um, 
but we won't ask for that until we know what the actual public comment period is because we don't want to go and ask for something if they're already going to give it to us. We're just unsure. We're waiting for um, it officially to open up. Okay. And so on that note, I mean, Plipco, as you mentioned, I mean, they've released a map that lets you compare the alternatives. We do encourage people to share the information with Plipco. We do believe the state of Utah is going to put forth a good faith effort to keep these roads open equipping them with good information will be helpful. Uh, we're definitely going to need a lot of that same information as well. And that's something we want to talk a lot about today on this episode is people have been asking us, okay, what do we, what do we do? How do we prevent something like what happened in Moab here? And that is a context to this is we know that the Moab plan came out. It was very aggressive in its restrictions and closures. I think more aggressive than what most people were expecting. And, I, we're seeing this across the board, not just in this NRFL swell, but every plan we're looking at, it feels like this administration is wanting to rush through plans that have been in the works for a while. Anything that's like remotely in process, they're accelerating the pace and trying to get them done before, I believe, the election. Yeah. And so do that's... Do you think there is any way to prevent what happened in Moab Um from happening here in the swell. Yeah. And I mean, and, and at the very least, I think there are ways, I think we have a strong legal case in Moab. We did prepare for Moab. To say we weren't prepared for Moab is inaccurate. Um, we had worked with a lot of users to address a lot of the trails that got closed. That's why we're in court now. And it was the work we did ahead of Moab, which is positioning us to have a strong legal challenge in the courts right now. That being said, there's always more you can do. You learn as you go through this process. And I do want people very engaged in what's going on at the San Rafael Swell. People are very mobilized around this. And so we're going to talk today about what the public can do. And the where we need to start is, I mean, at some point, I mean, I do want to get into the maps and the areas I need people to focus on and the trails and some of the things after I've spent a lot of time out there what I'm worried about. But I want to also set the stage of the San Rafael swell is a little different than all these other planning areas because we, it, we did pass the Dingle Act in 2019, uh, meaning that we as a country. And the Dingle Act does change how things should be considered in the San Rafael Swell. So let's talk about the big features of the Dingle Act and how it affected the San Rafael Swell. It was a compromise. And in, in some ways, I mean, we brought up the Dingle Act in Labyrinth Rims that because it's adjacent to it and we believe they were creating a buffer zone across the river by closing all those river, tra the trails that access the river and its overlooks in Moab, that that was against the Dingle Act because the Dingle Act prohibits creating buffer zones around the wilderness areas that got created by the act. And while there is one over there adjacent to this area in Moab, most of the wilderness created in the Dingle Act is creates a perimeter around the San Rafael swell, the feature itself. And so you have the Dingle Act created 600,000 acres of wilderness. Uh, that at the time was just 
very, I, I wasn't working for BRC at the time, but I was very aware of the negotiations that were going on around the Dingle Act. I worked in Congress and I, and the office I worked for, the Senator opposed the Dingle Act because just that sheer number of wilderness acres that was being created, just absolutely ridiculous. And the folks who were proposing the Dingle Act said, well, this will prevent the creation of a national monument in the San Rafael Swell. And so we looked at their language and said, okay, if this is going to prevent a national monument at the San Rafael Swell, then point to us in the Dingle Act in this Emory County land bill where the statute is prohibiting any creation of a monument. It doesn't exist. They did not codify that into the law, although that was considered one of the negotiation points. And that, and that was an agreement that was reached between these congressional negotiators and SUA. They believe that SUA, in good faith, isn't going to create a monument here and that they would be happy with the 600,000 acres of wilderness. And now we're fast forward a few years down the road on this plan. And I don't know if they'll create a national monument in the San Rafael Swell. They, they might. They still there, there isn't anything that in the law currently that would prohibit them from doing that other than whether what the scope of the Antiquities Act is itself. And that's why we're challenging that in court right now is I, I don't think the Antiquities Act really gives presidents to designate millions of acres of land as a monument. Uh, but they do, and they could certainly encourage a president to do that in the current time we're in and until we get some Supreme Court precedents that say otherwise. Um, that's how they will operate. Uh, but I don't know if they will or not in this one. I mean, they did designate most of some of the best parts of the swell are now wilderness. And that means most of the roads in those areas already got closed by the Dingle Act. And so we had significant road closures created. And I've been in this area. I don't know how quickly it happened. I'm going to assume it was as close to overnight as possible those wilderness signs got put up and those wilderness areas got designated and they're restricting access into those areas like you'd expect with a congressionally designated wilderness. But there were some roads that were cherry stemmed. Yep. And so you want to talk about those? Yeah. And so we'll have to do some digging to find, I mean, you can kind of tell what the cherry stem roads are when you look at these maps, like the one in Plipco, if you see a road, going through like a green wilderness area and there's just this little narrow road going through it. That was just cherry stemmed road. And so what they said is the corridor of this road isn't part of the wilderness. And you'll see the press and the media and the wilderness groups all complain about cherry stemming is, Oh, this is just a way to keep roads in wilderness areas. And, and this is members of Congress, not, adhering to the spirit and intent of the wilderness act. And, and they make it sound like cherry stemming is this devious thing that congressional leaders do to keep roads in wilderness area. It's really the exact opposite. These areas wouldn't be eligible for wilderness consideration because of those roads, unless they exclude the road from the wilderness area, it actually is not eligible under the law. And so they, so it's really a way to make wilderness possible not a way to keep roads open, uh, although it does wilderness, keep... wilderness can't have roads within it. And yeah. so I mean, it would completely disqualify an area that there's yep. a road in it. So the fact that they were able to go and designate this wilderness with roads in it, I mean, 
legally they yeah, should Yeah, there be. wasn't anywhere in the Sanderville Swell that has like 5,000 acres of contiguous land without a road in it. It was so, I mean, and don't quote me on that. I mean, there might have been a few, but this area had so many roads in it from the uranium mining boom years that to find a 5,000 acre contiguous piece without a road was probably a pretty tall order. And that's why they had to cherry stem roads in in order to create the wilderness and close the roads that did remain in those areas. And so that's one way we're already losing a lot of access and a lot of trails in this area is 600,000 acres of the San Rafael swell, which has got to be almost half of the swell itself. And this air travel area includes some of the desert areas surrounding the swell, especially over on the West side. Um, and so that's one of the kind of fixtures of this. Is there? And so when people heard this was coming out, they said, "Oh no, are they going to close Devil's Racetrack? Or are they going to?" There are some roads that, like Devil's Racetrack, was one of the cherry stems. Behind the reef was one of the cherry stems. And um, we learned with Moab. I mean, there were lots of roads that are very popular. They're part of Easter Jeep Safari that we thought there's no way they'll close those. You know, so we were a little bit more focused on the less traveled routes, but we learned with Moab that, oh no, everything's up for grabs. Well, it is unless it's cherry stand by Congress and then it's not. And so that's why on, on none of the alternatives are they proposing to close some of the more popular routes in this area. Um, but that still isn't, there are still problems with that. Like we've heard of groups that want to just do organized group rides on these cherry stemmed roads because they are the popular roads. So if you wanted to try to have something like Easter Jeep Safari in the swell, they get very restrictive on the special use permitting around letting you use those roads in any sort of a group or organized capacity. Um, because they say but, that they're going to alter the wilderness characteristics, but it's not compatible with wilderness. Yeah, it just it gets restrictive. And so it's still not like an open public road that you can just go use like any other road. It still is almost managed in a special way. So, so there are roads in the San Rafael swell that we know we don't have to worry about because they are cherry stemmed in statute under the law. And so if you see a road that you think SUA would have on their hit list and it's not being proposed to close in any alternative, it's because it was a cherry stem. And so, but what that, but that being said, this is a big area and it's a popular area. It's within two to three hours of the Wasatch Front and the Northern Utah population centers. It's within a few hours of like Grand Junction. I know a lot of people come over from Colorado and right wheel in the swell. I've been up as far as like Northern Idaho. Some of the groups I've been up with there will take a summer trip and come down and go explore the swell. Um, so this area does have a lot of popular roads and not every popular road was cherry stemmed. And so you do still have some very popular roads that are on the chopping block on this plan. Um, the most prominent one, as was the case with Moab, is a very prominent dirt bike route. It's called uh, Five Miles of Hell. Have you ridden that one yet, Simone? No, I I don't know if I'm quite good enough to do. Yeah, that. and that's and that's fair. I, I, I but I'd like not... to one day. I mean, and and I might not have the chance. I mean. Um, but you're, I'm assuming your husband, Kevin has, and I mean, you know, people who haven't, it is oh, kind yeah. of one people of those travel from all over. It's, it's just as popular as 
you know, what we saw happen in Moab with, you know, dead cow loop, the tubes, people come from all over just to ride five mile. And you have other dirt bike routes in this area, like Temple Mountain, right? I mean, tell me, there's a bunch of them right down in that area. And so those are all, you got to look at the maps and see, but if you're a dirt biker and you've ridden your dirt bike in the swell, there's a very good chance some of your favorite trails could potentially be closed. And so that is a group that needs to get fired up. They need to go. This is one thing I am. Okay. So let's pause. People want to know what you can do to help in this plan. So let's start with the dirt bikers. One of the things we saw in Moab that I, this is something I've learned. I didn't fully grasp or appreciate the, the importance of this at the time when we were making our public comments, but the economic data that the BLM used to close the trails in Moab, as they said, if they close all those trails that they closed, that that would only cause a loss of 7,000 visitor days out of 1.8 million. I don't think that's accurate. I think that that wouldn't even, I bet there's more seven than 7,000 visitor, visitor days just to Dead Cow Loop and the popular dirt biking trail that they closed in that area. And so... I need the dirt biking community to get me some data of how much visitation happens on that trail. I don't know if that means I need to go set up game cameras or counters or some sort of something to measure in a way that we can extrapolate some statistics from that and assume and come to the BLM with better data than what they're going to bake into their assumptions of how many people actually use that area. And so if you're someone in the dirt biking community, you want to be part of that project. uh, I think it's very important that we get some better data of how much use is actually happening on some of these trails, especially those dirt biking trails that are that as popular as they are. And so reach out to us if you want to be part of that. We want to talk that through with some folks who might have the capability to help with that. Um. So back to the Dingle Act, I mean, it did cherry stem in some roads and it it also did not cherry stem in a lot of roads. But the one other thing it did, aside from creating 600,000 acres of wilderness, is it created an area that was like 240,000 acres in size that they're calling the San Rafael Swell Recreation Area. And that has some, some legal statutory provisions in it that kind of change the rules of how this land should get managed compared to other BLM land out there. And so if I go look at the text of the Dingle Act itself, um, so they say that subject to valid existing rights, there is established in the San Rafael Swell, the San Rafael Swell Recreation Area. The area included, it shall consist of 216,995 acres um, that they have depicted on a map that was included as part of the act. The purposes of a recreation area are to provide for the protection, conservation, and enhancement of the recreational, cultural, natural, scenic, wildlife, ecological, historical, and educational resources of the recreation area. And so 
in gen so then it says they need to file this map and legal description so they know where this area is and so back to that first part like they have to protect conserve and enhance recreational cultural natural scenic wildlife ecological historical and educational resources and so the way i read that is if they close access to recreation resources that are scenic in value, they could be violating the Dingle Act. Um, if That's they close resources from saying, well, we're enhancing recreation for hikers by. I know that's the building. challenge with this is that the people who wrote the Dingle Act thought they were being really clever and thought they were actually protecting recreation access with this. Um, but this won't be the first time the language of this act blows up in their face and won't be the last. Um, but I, I do believe speaking to them that they really thought they were doing something clever with this and that they were going to protect this recreation area. And I remember talking to one of them and, um, uh, one thing that's also worth pointing out here is that the recreation area will be consistent with the purposes of the recreation areas established. They say not later than five years after the date of the enactment of this act, the secretary shall develop a comprehensive management plan for the long-term protection and management of the recreation area. And so people, I've seen comments on Facebook, of like, I thought the San Rafael swell was, all these problems were resolved permanently through the Dingle Act. And I'm like, nope. The Dingle Act said in five years that the agency was going to go create a, a plan for the area. And so, so but doesn't that say just a management plan? So that's yeah. different from this travel management plan. Well, let me keep going. Um, and so it should be developed with public input. It should take into consideration any information developed in studies of the land within the recreation area. And it will be developed fully consistent with the settlement agreement entered into on January 13th, 2017, in the case of the United States District Court, which was Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance versus Department of Interior. That is the settlement agreement. Blue Ribbon Coalition was a party to that settlement as a defendant intervener. Um, this is the one that's mandating that the travel planning be done. And so this Dingle Act language didn't in any way foreclose the travel planning that we're working on now. It actually expressly acknowledged that this settlement agreement would continue forward. That all being said, um, at the time, that's the, uh, that's the agreement that was reached. They're using that settlement agreement to basically create more wilderness through closing roads. And that's part of the reason why Representative Curtis, who was the lead sponsor of this portion of the Dingle Act, the Emory County Bill, has... He softened on this. He supported and sponsored the Historic Roadways Protection Act, which basically says the BLM can't fund the implementation or further development of this settlement agreement. And which is appropriate, in my opinion. I don't believe, I mean, in this case, like the court is kind of stepping in and creating the rules and the laws that are going to govern this. That's really Congress's job. And so if Congress wants to step in and assert itself as every right to, and that's why we support the Historic Roadways Protection Act. And if um, people haven't already contacted the representative to support that, then they need to. 
Yeah, that's another, like, if you're wondering what can I do around the San Rafael Swell, that Historic Roadways Protection Act got passed. That wasn't just related to the Moab fight. That was all of these travel plans in Utah. And so that's an important piece of this. If you're not supporting that act, if you're not constantly contacting a member of Congress to support it, then you're not doing everything you can to prevent these closures from going into effect because that legislation would stop these plans in their tracks. Um, There is a provision in here about motorized vehicles and new roads. They basically just say that motorized vehicles have to stay on the existing routes. They say no new roads can be constructed. Um, what the road system that's there is basically as much of a road system as we're ever going to get. Um, but it does say they can do maintenance and repairs to existing roads designated in the management plan. And so they do have to keep the roads in good repair and free of debris, which is I'll bring it. I mean, I've, I've run into roads out there where they've dragged debris across the road. These None of these have been closed yet by any management plan, yet I still find debris blocking these roads, making it look as if they're closed, um, BLM has every authority to remove that and keep the roads open until a management plan changes that. And so if you're out there in this area and you see a road that looks like it's been closed with debris, there's a very good chance that that's an illegal road closure and the BLM needs to take corrective action to keep it open until any change in the plan currently. Yeah, so if you see Um, that document where it's at, get the coordinates Okay, here's another one. Nothing in this subsection prevents the secretary from rerouting an existing road or trail to protect recreation area resources from degradation or to protect public safety as determined to be appropriate by the secretary. And so you're going to hear a lot about how closure is the only way to protect some of the important resources in this area. The Dingle Act contemplates that rerouting an existing road is a tool they should be using. Nothing prohibits them from using that. And so, it, anyway, there's some discretion there. But if there, if we find roads that are going through areas of sensitive resource, we shouldn't just accept that closures the only option to protect a sensitive resource. We need to remind them that the Dingle Act contemplates that this rerouting of a road is something that should be considered. Um. Uh, so there's this was a I remember talking to some members of Congress staff. They were really proud of this section, by the way. They thought they were very, very, very clever in including this because they insisted that this would help keep open a lot of the roads to the old mining sites in the swell um, and kind of give some preferential treatment to the access that comes to the, there's some historical resources in there. And so that's the, that's a section in here in this recreation area that they call cold war sites says the secretary shall manage the recreation area in a manner that educates the public about cold war and historic uranium mine sites in the recreation area subject to terms and conditions as the secretary considers necessary to protect public health and safety. And so what you're going to find when we start talking through some of the areas of this map, you can see all the red spider webs. Those are all routes that go and access old historic uranium 
Cold War mining sites, and they're proposing to close all of them. I don't know how the secretary shall manage the recreation in a, ma- in a manner that educates the public about Cold War and historic uranium mine sites if all those sites are inaccessible and closed. And so when we find these routes, that that's their purpose. Um, there is language in the Dingle Act that kind of contemplates that those should be given preference to be left open. And we need to be the ones who help articulate how leaving those roads open is part of this requirement that the interior secretary has to educate the public about the cold war and historic uranium mine sites and their significance. And so this is something, this is a provision that doesn't normally exist on public land management statutory frameworks. That's something unique to the San Rafael swell, something we should be laying a lot of groundwork for when we're making our public comments. If something goes to a mine, we need to point out that we value the education value of being able to go to that mine. And I've been to several of these. It is cool. I do appreciate the educational value of being able to go look at those mines. And I can promise you, nobody's hiking to these. Um, and so those need to be, that needs to be addressed. Um, here's another thing that's interesting. They say that they, they're required to st- study non-motorized recreation opportunities. So not later than two years after the date of the enactment of this act, the secretary in consultation with interested parties shall conduct a study of non-motorized recreation trail opportunities, including bicycle trails within the recreation area, consistent with the purposes of the recreation area. Um, This travel plan does include some bicycle trails that includes some e-bike access. I haven't seen the study that was required to be produced not later than two years after the date of enactment of this act, which happened in 2019. Um, That's something we're going to have to dig up and read through, Simone. Um, But I want to and it is interesting that they required them to study non-motorized recreation, but not motorized. Um, Another way that these congressional members who negotiated this kind of dropped the ball. Um, and so regardless of that, we should still see what they're saying about the non-motorized trail opportunities, because we also know that whatever they're proposing for non-motorized trails, that often brings non-motorized users into conflict with motorized users. And so we need to see what their studies, what they actually studied and analyzed, what they concluded. And it sounds like they should be studying the potential of a whole lot more bicycle trails. And to my knowledge, there isn't a whole lot of bicycle trail development going on in the San Rafael Swell recreation area proper. I mean, there's definitely been some trail development happening in that, that price area, Emory County area. I know they get some of the mountain bike races and stuff, but this, the, so to be clear, I mean, the outdoor, the San Rafael Swell recreation area is, kind of like where the wedge overlook is. Um, and then it really is like the heart of the middle of the San Rafael swell. It's on both sides of I-70. It's surrounded by wilderness, but it's that it's kind of like the middle section of the San Rafael swell. 
And there really aren't like designated, dedicated bike trails in the Santa Fe School itself. There are some bike packing trails that exist, but I, I believe they just use the existing motorized trails for that. It's not like a specific bike trail. I'd have to, I've never done it. But uh, we had to research that and just understand it. Um, so that's the swell. I mean, there's a resource advisory council that we've been aware of. We know that there's I been some other. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we know there have been some other uh, other public comment periods around other things, like some things up in Vernal the scenic river management plans they've we know they've been analyzing changing some of the dispersed camping if you've gone down buckhorn wash that used to all be like pretty primitive camping now it's a little more hardened has designated sites i i haven't been to the wedge overlook or that area for a little over a year now i've heard they were going to harden the sites up there and create designated sites, but it used to be just primitive. You just go camp up there. There's a lot of cool spots, cool spots to camp along the Canyon Rim. Definitely like an iconic place for overlanding and dispersed camping to occur. And uh, it's entirely likely they're going to totally ruin that experience with terrible management if they haven't already. Um, and so... That's the framework. I mean, the Dingle Act really does inform a lot of how this is going to play out. That all being, oh, the other thing that the Dingle Act says is it can't create buffer zones. And where we were concerned about that in Labyrinth Room and Gemini Bridges, uh, what we saw when we brought that argument to court was that Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance kind of didn't agree with that. We didn't expect them to. But because that was in a completely different management area, they act, their argument was essentially a land manager has discretion to manage for certain goals or characteristics. And it, it, it raises questions about, well, then what is a buffer zone? How do you define it? And let, I mean, their argument is basically that the land manager has to basically say, I am creating a buffer zone here and use that language or it's not a buffer zone. If they just close everything because they're quote unquote protecting riparian species and that all happens to be in an area that would be a buffer zone, they'd be like, well, they didn't explicitly say they were creating a buffer zone, so they weren't. It's like, I mean, it's this, this statutory protection against the creation of buffer zones is a thing that's not very well defined in the law is what we're finding. And, um, part of why we litigate these things is so that we can help create those definitions and inform what those things mean. That's what courts do is interpret the law. And in the San Rafael Swell, everything is in the management zone of these areas that were created as wilderness that we can't be creating buffer zones around. And so I don't know how you how you get away with massive amounts of closure, especially like inside this recreation area that's perimetered by wilderness areas how enacting a whole bunch of restrictions within the inside of that wilderness perimeter isn't creating a buffer zone it uh, it seems precarious to argue that Uh, but then you also have a lot of roads getting closed 
outside the wilderness areas. And, I, and there's some of those we can talk about where I feel like they're basically creating buffer zones around wilderness. And so we're going to have to get a lot more specific on our trail by trail analyses and identifying how that trail closure is constituting the creation of a buffer zone. And because the Dingle Act does say they cannot do that. And the members of Congress, again, thought they were, those who supported this thought they were being very clever and astute in putting that protection in there and that that would lead, that would mean something to the management on the ground. If, if the courts and if the agencies all just kind of agree with SUA on that, then there's the buffer zone language and acts like the Dingle Act is essentially meaningless. Um, and so, and so my, I operate under the assumption of when laws get written, the laws have words, those words mean something. The buffer zone has to mean something. It has to mean something along the lines of closing things around the wilderness area because there's a wilderness area nearby is off limits. And what you, when you look at these maps, you'll see that there's a lot of closures pretty darn close to most of the wilderness areas because you can't find an area in this area now that isn't near a wilderness because they created so much wilderness in the area. So I want to talk about the map now. I mean, I've gotten a lot of questions from users, what people want to do, like what can they do to help? What can they do to prepare? Um, Again, we've been preparing for this. We... I went and spent probably a good almost two weeks in this area full uh, worth of days, like going and inventorying a bunch of trails. And I put a bunch of those in the Lost Trails Guidebook Volume 1. Uh, we found another box of these. We'd gotten to where we'd almost run through our whole print run on these of selling them out. But we do have one more box and I'll have a link in the show notes where if you want to order, if you don't have a copy of our volume one of the Lost Trails Guidebook, um, you can basically order it by entering our sweepstakes right now, or you can enter to win a massive um, upgrade package for your vehicle, or you can turn your vehicle into a dream off-road rig. And we have a promo code that will get you bonus entries. And if you use that promo code, um, we know you'll be... Uh, that you, we'll send you a free copy of the Lost Trails Guidebook Volume 1. So use the link in this bio. If you enter our sweepstakes through that link, we'll send you one of these until they run out. And when we made this, we were focused pretty heavily on roads that we thought were at risk of closure because at the time we were worried about roads that they were arguing weren't being used and so those need to be closed. And so we were looking at roads that were getting less use. Uh, that was one of the things we looked at. Other ones were just, uh, we had seen that the agencies were cracked. The SUA was encouraging the agencies to crack down on dispersed camping. So we were also kind of having our eye out for s- some of the dispersed camping sites that are out here in the Santa Fe swell. And there are a lot of them. And if you look at a lot of the spur roads and things that are just short little offshoots that come off the main roads, in almost campsites, they go to dispersed campsites, and in most cases, they're great dispersed campsites that are getting very minimal use. Um, but you really could just go get lost out in this area, and 
have the place to yourself for a period of time. And so we focused on some of those. And I can say that, I mean, we focused on ones we were worried might be closed. And there are a lot of these trails in Lost Trails Guidebook Volume 1 that could be closed if they go with the most restrictive management. So we do want to talk a little bit about those. It'll help you understand some of the areas we're concerned about. And so I want to start off on the southwest area of the San Rafael Swell. Um, this is the area south of I-70. It is the area, it kind of is referred to as Musantucket. Um, that's the freeway exit. I believe it's exit 99. I'd have to, we were looking this up before. Um, but you know you're on the right exit if you're on Musantucket and there's a main road that comes off the freeway exit that'll take you down through Musantucket Flat. It'll go clear down to the east side of Cedar Mountain and kind of get you down to almost like where that um, Hidden Splendor Mine is, but you actually can't access it from this side. But you can get to like the overlooks, uh, like what's called Sager's Hole Overlook. You've got the, what they call the Moroni Slopes. And you have the Last Chat Desert. And there's a lot of cool things that are accessible down around here. Um, my experience in this area, there is, and in this guidebook, there's a road that's called S5515. And this is, this is a spur. It is 0.1 miles in length. It's tiny. It was a great little campsite. And they have it closed in alternative B. It would be a great place to base camp if you wanted to go and spend some time at the Sager's Hole Overlook or down in this southwestern part of the San Rafael Desert. Um, they're proposing to close it. And it was like, I, my guess is if this campsite gets more than 10 visitors a year, I'd be shocked because it is quite a ways down there. The road getting down there is pretty capable I mean, or pretty accessible. I think it's been a while since I've driven it, but I would take, a, you could probably get by with like a decent two-wheel drive vehicle. It's like that well-maintained, but if you have a stock four by four of any kind, you're getting there just fine. Um, once you get off on any of the side roads out down in this country, you're going to want some more capability. But the main road getting down here was was just great. But this would be an awesome little campsite. And But when I'm looking down in this area, so this is what we need everyone's help with. I mean, I know about that road. I'm going to be able to make a substantive comment about that road. But when I'm looking here, all of this gets and, and accesses um, one of the wilderness area in this area. I want to say it's like the muddy Creek wilderness. I don't remember. They, they all there. There's like 18 different wilderness areas and I don't, I can't keep the names of them all straight, but you definitely get up to a wilderness area, which is, I did go up to that boundary on an overlook called Sager's hole overlook. Um, if you're someone who likes really cool overlooks of deep canyons, like something like the angels landing experience, but without all the people, and the permit. this was, this, and no, and I have to get a permit yet. Uh, this was awesome. Um, and it's a little road that takes you up to a sit land, piece of land that has this overlook. But then there's a lot of other little roads down there that access this area that go right up to the wilderness area. So you have SS5147. That goes to the Slaughter Slopes 
wilderness area, that's where the road ends. So the fact they're closing that screams buffer zone to me. Um, there's another road called SS5139 that goes down um, and kind of creates a boundary around the wilderness near Chimney Canyon. So they're closing that. So that, to me, again, screams a buffer zone. They're closing SS5138, another one that looks like it goes to a cool overlook over this canyon down in this same area. There's a route called SS5135. Um, This is on an area on a map called Horse Heaven. Um, It's down on an area near Moroni Slopes. They're closing this. It is a connector route near the wilderness area. Closing this says, hey, we're creating a buffer zone here to me. Um, You go a little bit further south, there's a road that cuts right through the middle of the wilderness, SS5389. That has to be one of the cherry stems because it goes right through the wilderness. But then it goes to SS5389A, and they close the southern portion of that, which would take you down into another travel management area, which is kind of gets you down into like the Factory Butte area, which is the southern border of this Emory County situation. And again, I mean, Wayne County opposed this Emory County bill because they were worried about crap like this, where routes that cross over into their county get closed and make their routes less valuable. And so if we have users that want to go explore this area and go look at these routes, things that go up and connect to these wilderness areas and these overlooks, we want to know what the condition of those roads are. So there might be some where they say, these don't exist, they're reclaiming. We need to know that. If they're not reclaiming, we need to know why. The, what's at the end of those roads. What's the value of those roads? Why, why was that road built in the first place? What's its purpose? Those are the kinds of things we need to have in a public comment, and we really need that for every single route in this area, and there's there are over, there are thousands. And so this is a, a lot of work um, for a single person. It would probably take at least a good year or two to really do this well. But if we know we have so many users out here that like to go explore. Um, that's an area I'm thinking about. If I go to the west and there's good roads that get you out to the west and then you have um, roads like SS5393 and uh, SS5402, these are longer routes that look like they cut through some areas that if those got removed you'd i mean remember routes like this already got closed in the wilderness to create these five thousand contiguous acres of no roads this closing these routes in this section would basically create another area that could possibly become a wilderness this is these closures are what i call the wilderness laundering type closures and then you get over into the last chance desert there's a ton of roads over here that need to be looked at i haven't even been over here yet And you also have some roads that kind of go and connect adjacent to the Fish Lake National Forest. Some of these you might have to actually access from the forest itself. Uh, And it looks like, no, Fremont Junction, that's the road that goes down to Loa, right, Simone? Yeah. So one thing we notice in this plan is they actually include paved roads as part of the inventory. So I-15 is actually called like SS5388. 
Didn't they and say so they're gonna, that they were going to remove them? Didn't the BLM say that they would remove them? I don't know, but they're, at this point we have to assume they're going to say, like, when they say, oh, look, we left 800 miles open. And they're including in this, the In this case, road. that'll probably include a few hundred miles of paved roads. Yeah. Um, and so there are some things over there on that Fremont Junction Road that um, kind of drop off as you get closer to I-70. A lot of red routes there that we want people to look at. Um, then if you keep coming east, you get to the Lone Tree exit. I want to talk a little bit about that. You have some routes called SS5022, SS5021. And those routes go and connect into an area called Devil's Canyon. That got created into a wilderness. These routes go to the wilderness. One of those SS5022 is in the guidebook. We talk about it. And that going up Devil's Canyon, once you hit the wilderness boundary, I mean, we, we, Hope everybody recognizes that road ends right there. It, it'll look to you like it goes on for a ways, but at the wilderness boundary, it is technically closed. You shouldn't drive it. But getting up to that wilderness boundary gets you to where you are a short hike away from a really cool spring that's been used to like water. I think the people who ride on horseback through that canyon use it to water their horses. And I thought I thought the spring was really cool. I hiked into it. Um and so if they close that route, though, that first leg of this, I mean, this road is three miles of road that you'd have to hike just to get to. Well, then it cuts through Sitla and then you have another 0.9. My guess is it's a five mile hike just to get to where the road takes you to where it's like not even a one mile hike to get to the spring. No one's going to go hike that like five mile hike to get to the spring and see that. that what they, want? they don't want anybody. Even yeah. I mean, that's what they want, but who's like, who's to say they get what they want here. Yeah. I mean, there's a value there. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm giving this as an example of when I go into an area, I go see, well, what's the purpose of this road for me to use it as it currently exists. And that's the purpose. It's so that, People can get within a decent distance and on, and there is a piece of Sitla land there. And so they do have to provide access to Sitla parcels. And again, this is also something that creates, that gets right there near, basically ends at a wilderness boundary. If they close this road, they're creating a buffer zone. They can't do that. And so they'll have, they'll come up and say, oh, well, this is a riparian resource. We're just protecting the riparian, whatever. Um, they're, the use in it, like the, the ATV tracks going up this canyon isn't destroying anything riparian in this canyon. It is a dry wash that flash floods. And so any of the damage, there's no damage to the soil that the ATVs are causing in here or the off-road vehicles that wouldn't be caused by a flash flood um, and water erosion. Plenty, like plants are growing in there to, but nothing. I mean, you can see the pictures in the guidebook. This is in there. And so, and then, so those are things we want you to look at, like be ready for like, if they're in, if you're in a river bottom, the environmental groups are going to claim this is a riparian resource. We want your documentation of what's the health of the riparian ecosystem in that area. Is there irreparable damage? And we need our own eyewitness accounts, kind of, because my experience is the riparian resources are just fine. I, again, this 
This is a this is right off the freeway exit. This would be a trail that would get a lot of traffic. My sense was it doesn't get a lot of traffic. Um, this area is so big. There's so many routes in there. People spread out. I don't think that it's creating a lot of traffic. And so if you go down this same, I believe it's like the Saltwash Road, like the Muss and Tucket Road, there is like a good access road that gets you down in here into this area. And there are some other, and, the, and then this road also, you can, at this exit, you can go on the north side of the freeway exit. And you'll see on the north side of this, they want to close everything. Like there are very few roads left open on the north side of this Lone Tree exit. And so I have a lot of questions about that. We need to know why they're closing everything around the Cloak Cliffs and the Red Ledges and the Sand Bench. And like, and so we need people to go get tires on the ground and go document these routes and tell us what their conditions are. And so that those are two areas that I've started doing some inventory work. We could use a lot more help. Uh, once you get up over Ghost Rock, you get to where like the Justison Flat and some of these other exits that get you to like um, the Swayze's Cabin or the Sinbad Country. Uh, this is where, and you this is where like the copper globe mine is and the roads that go down into this area. This is where I'm starting to see that they're closing all the mining stuff. And you can tell because you look at the map and you'll see a road go down and then the road kind of spider webs out. And that's because the roads going to all the little different mining access points where they were prospecting for minerals. Um, and so I, we need people to go look at those and say, and find the historical value of these mines. Um, there's a lot of offshoot roads that go off of, if you go down Red's Canyon on one of the cherry stems, you'll see a whole mess of these kind of branching off to the north of the Red's Canyon Road. My guess is those are all old mining roads that have historical value that the Dingle Act says they need to manage this to make that historical value accessible. Um, the family butte area is in this area and this is one where I, I want to talk about some routes in this area that I went and looked at um, you have a whole network of routes if you're coming down SS4060 you have a route like SS4111 and that connects you to a whole spider web of routes that go out on top of a, a mesa there, a plateau. And my guess is they all go to really cool campsites and overlooks. And this was one where there was debris blocking the road, so you couldn't get on there. But if you, I went and walked past the debris and you get to the road network and the road network was like maintained. It was, it, and so they just were trying to block the entrance to this. But once you get past the entrance, the rest of the roads were in spectacular condition. Um, and if you keep coming down this road of S S four zero six zero, it comes down and there's SS four one one five is another area that kind of 
get uh, you had good cell phone coverage here. There were multiple awesome dispersed campsites on these spurs. Those are all potentially going to be closed. Those are in the Lost Trails guidebook. That's what I look for there is that has high value for camping. Uh, the road to get down there was pretty accessible. It's probably still on a four-wheel drive vehicle to get down there, but I think you could get like, I, I would chance taking a sprinter van that far down. I think you'd be okay if it was capable. Um but anything more capable than that, you're going to be just fine. And then you have a whole, a whole bunch of other routes down in this area that are going to be closed. And so if people wanted to go kind of base out of that area and go explore some of these routes, spend two or three days, you'd cover a lot of ground, see a lot of cool things. And that's an area that's heavy on my mind because I know there's a lot of uranium mining in that area because I've been there. And that means there's, there are paths in the Dingle Act for us to protect that. Uh, okay, so now we get down to your country, Simone. We have five miles of hell, Sinbad country, Temple Wash, Temple Mountain. Talk to us about the, like, have you looked at the, what they're doing to the dirt bike trails in that area? Um, I mean, there's some that are proposing for closure in all of them, aren't they? alternatives yeah and i'm looking at b and it's like mostly oh, red down is, there yeah i mean b's hopefully unacceptable um and that's not even like a real consideration but i guess it always is close to what they did in my lab yeah so and so and this and i haven't been to that area yet i'm assuming people kind of base out of like the goblin valley campgrounds or some of that stuff that's down like on the road going to hanksville yeah, so you're not accessing that area. area. Sorry, say that again. Or even just down in Hanksville area. Yeah. And so it's like that, like where the other areas I was just talking about, you're really accessing off of I-70 and dropping in. Here, you're kind of coming down that road that goes to Hanksville and kind of coming in from the east. Um, but if our dirt bikers, I mean, we definitely need to get people on the ground there and documenting all these trails, explaining why they're valuable. And I'm seeing like a road there that's um, SS4308 says it's limited to motorized single track in both alternative C and D. In B, it's closed. That road is basically the boundary of a wilderness. And so if they're closing that, that means it probably wasn't cherry stemmed, but the fact that they're closing it tells me they're creating a buffer zone. Um. So while we're down in this area, have you ever, um, so as you're coming down from I-70 to Hanksville and you, and you're riding right along the San Rafael reef off to your, mm-hmm. off to the West, uh, there's a lot of cool trails that go and access that, the formation of the reef that where it comes out, like where it kind of jaggedly comes out of the ground. Uh, I have the, some of those trails are in the lost trails guidebook. I've gone and looked at some of those. They all lead to really cool dispersed campsites. Like along the reef, you have a lot of areas where water erosion is like cut canyons. It almost looks like teeth. And each one of those canyons is just like a cool little slot Canyon that when I was there, people were camping there and just exploring around in those canyons. And so the fact that they're closing some of that 
there's a lot there. There's somebody wanted to just go camp in one of those sites and explore that kind of almost, it almost feels like the front range of the San Rafael swell or the reef itself. Um, there's some interesting proposed closures. Um, you get north of I-70. And I know we have folks up in Price that are heavily involved in this area and you've gone here too, but the Buckmaster Draw, Simone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gone there with some organized groups and there are a lot of little closed spur routes here on this Buckmaster Draw. Yeah, a lot of and, camping. Huh? A lot of camping. Yeah. And that's what some of the trails you put in guidebook volume one were ones you went and looked at there. And there's, so yeah, you're right. There's camping. Um, there's that's one the main reason for those routes. I mean, just really good camping spots. And then you're in a good spot to base out of, to go hit some of the yeah. other trails. And so getting somebody to go document what's here in this Tidwell draw area, Buckmaster draw that's still over there on the east side of the main San Rafael reef. And I mean, and be aware, like all the trails that go into the reef itself, all those are in like a wilderness area now. So it's like a lot of cool trails got closed in that area so that they want to close more now. It's just kind of ridiculous. Um, you do have a road, this main road that goes to the Mexican mountain wilderness study area. It, and this is where you'd be coming down off of Buckhorn Wash and then keep going up along the river. And there's a lot of pull-offs and spurs there, which might tells me campsites that are getting closed. I haven't been to that part of this yet. I have gone down the Buck, like the Buckhorn Wash, where there are some cool um, developed campsites. Um, and then you do have, if you're somebody who's camped at the Wedge Overlook, um, they have a lot of red right along there, which means they're trying, they're potentially going to close some of the spurs and, um, campsites that are there along that rim of the Wedge Overlook. Uh, that's kind of alarming because that's some really cool stuff out there. And then if you're up by the Wedge Overlook, you also have the Goodwater Rim Mountain Bike Trail. And there's a little area that goes kind of like what they call, I guess, the East Wedge. There's one air, one trail out there that you want to limit to e-bikes on alternative C and D, but on alternative B, it's closed. And so we're going to go take a look at that trail and see what it is that they're going to turn into like a dedicated e-bike trail, but I think e-bikes should also be able to use the Goodwater Rim Trail, and they're proposing to do that in all three alternatives at this point, so hopefully that stays that way. Um, But because e-bikes are considered a motorized vehicle, they get analyzed now in these travel plans, and that's really the only area that I can tell they're analyzing for e-bikes in the whole San Rafael Swell, which is like massive. And so that's a little nuts. I mean, they'll say, well, the e-bikes can use the OHV trails, but as someone who's ridden e-bikes and OHV trails, sometimes that's fun and cool. I mean, it does open up a lot, but there's also something about like a dedicated bike trail um, is always a different experience. And the Goodwater Rim Trail, I mean, it's very, very scenic and 
there's a reason that that became a very popular bike trail. So those all, that kind of like gives you a, a walkthrough of the swell itself. And you also have the Humbug flat area and the area north of Cedar Mountain. There's a lot of red in there. And that area is kind of, a lot of it's flat desert that I know is a lot of grazing access. But you have the flat top mountain, you have Humbug Canyon, you have, there's definitely a lot of red routes in that area. And folks probably, we probably need to get some people out in this area and see what they're closing because it, and I know there's got to be people that live in Price or Huntington or that area that know these routes and we need them to share their knowledge with us. And whether it's legitimate that they're closing this many routes in this Humbug area and the area north of Cedar Mountain. And so that'll set up. I think if you pick up a copy of our Lost Trails Guidebook Volume 1, you'll see what we're doing in this guidebook. We did it for like 20 trails in this area, and there's like over a thousand. And so we do need hundreds of people to go. If a, a few hundred people went and looked at three or four trails, uh, we could have a lot of coverage throughout the whole Santerfield swell, get people to make comments about the condition and the value of those trails. And then we'd have a really substantial administrative record that we could use to go to court and legally protect them if they are to get closed through this plan. And so if that's something you want to be a part of, I mean, we definitely want folks who are knowledgeable of the area and want to get out there and help us do this. I mean, reach out to us, contact us through our website. Um, this is something where we kind of want to, it needs to be orchestrated with a small, like a handful of folks that want to really step up and help. And so we'll, we kind of are, we'll see who comes out of the woodwork and we'll, and we'll give you some broader insight into what we can have you help us do. Uh, but that is the name of the game. And so if we're to recap the things we can do to help, one is we do need you to support the Historic Roadways Protection Act. That would prevent this plan from moving a whole lot forward. Any, like it won't move very much more forward at the, if that act were to pass. Uh, number two is we need to get you out on the trails and have you documenting and telling us what the condition of those trails are like, what the value is, what their purpose is. And we need to be compiling that into information that we could use at Blue Ribbon Coalition and those comments get submitted. We'll have tools that'll help you do that. Um, you can, you're more than welcome to also share that information with the state of Utah or it would be helpful for them to know these things as well. And what else am I missing, Simone? We had a few, you get a copy of the Lost Trails Guidebook Volume 1 mm -hmm. and go check out some of these trails so that you can, I, this will help, like, there's times where we've had our challenges kicked out on legal standing because they say we can't prove our members value these trails and that they want to go use them. That's why we made these guidebooks is so that we can know that there's at least a handful of trails that our members value and will go use. So if you've gotten your hands on Lost Trails Guidebook 1 and you've gone and looked at some of these, we want to hear your story about whether the trails were valuable to you or not. Um, and so that's something you can do. And, and that alone is a lot of work. I mean, just to get everybody out there inventorying and documenting the trails and 
and building your connection to this area. I mean, this area is... It's very remote. It's rugged. But... Yeah, but I would say value level, it's up there with Moab, especially as Moab got more and more restrictive. This became an area where people would go instead. It's an hour closer than Moab to the main population center in Utah. And I know a lot of my friends that live in Salt Lake Valley, Utah Valley, and uh, even Northern Utah, they've all come down to the swell. And I know people from all over the country that come and visit the swell. It is uh, an iconically popular destination. And we're going to have a lot of work to do to keep it open. Unfortunately, there, there really aren't great reasons to close any of these trails from my experience out there. Uh, the, the area is not being trashed. It's not being overutilized. Um, it's because there's so many routes. People get so spread out. I, it, You really are worried if you get broke. I mean, I did a podcast on this show with the search and rescue team from Emory County. And you get into trouble out here. The risk isn't going to be that you're going to get you could really spend days in this area and never run into another person. Like there's a real safety risk to that. And so to assume that in an area where that is a real risk is also an area that's just being totally overrun. Like there was some guy I'd never heard of him. He wrote some opinion editorial in the Salt Lake Tribune that he had gone out there camping in the San Rafael swell to enjoy the solitude and the peacefulness of nature in the backcountry, And then a horde of, ATVs came driving down the road and passed him and left a big plume of smoke or of dust. And the dust settled on the rim of his coffee cup as he was drinking his morning coffee. What an idiot. <laughs> like if like if you're camping in the San Rafael Swell and you managed to find the one campsite that had another user cross your path, then you did it wrong. There are so many places to go in the swell where you will never see another person, especially if they leave a lot of these routes open. Uh, And so he's, again, and this is like what we see with all of these, is they exaggerate the harm and the concern they have about the area. I mean, in Labyrinth Rim, it was the smell of the Jeeps on the Hajo Canyon Trail ruining the rafting experience. And now it's the dust settling on the coffee cup. I mean, go back to poetry school. It's so stupid. If you can't find a place to camp in the San Rafael swell where you don't encounter another person. And there's that much wilderness designated. And with the 600,000 acres of wilderness designation, then you're an idiot. You just are like, like there are so many places to have that experience. This guy was looking for. And it's probably made up. I bet it's not even true, but whatever. He wrote it. He got fact-checked by the Salt Lake Tribune. I know I've been fact-checked by them. Um, but it's that's the, what we have to counter is that that isn't the norm. That isn't the normal experience everybody has. And so we'll be asking you for all of this when the public comment period opens. Uh, we'll give you more feedback because we, we will plan to be out there on several occasions and share the information we collect as we find it so that you're seeing how we're doing what we do. And that's, those are the marching orders. We need help. This is going to, there's thousands of miles of trails. We're, we're not going to do it by ourselves at this point. 
but as a big collective off-road community, I think it's entirely possible and it would be very enjoyable. It's a really cool area to go explore. I doubt anybody will regret going and spending some days in this Santa Fe swell, exploring trails they've never used before. It was always a great experience to go try out a new trail in the Santa Fe swell. And so if you've done, if you've done devil's racetrack, that's awesome. You did it already. Go try something new. Go actually use what, go explore one of these trails. They might close. And because they're not going to close Devil's Racetrack because that got cherry stemmed. You can save that one for later. We need you to go look at the trails that are red on these maps and go let us know what they're like. So anyway, so that wraps up this. That That's our briefing on the swell. It's kind of lengthy one. Uh, I suspect we'll be on a few more podcasts talking about this. We'll do everything we can to kind of give people this more in-depth understanding of what we're looking at here, what everyone can do. And we hope you'll do it. We hope you'll pick up your copy of Lost Trails Guidebook, Volume 1. If you're not a member of Blue Ribbon Coalition yet, as you can see, I mean, if, if a lot of people got fired up and joined and supported us during the Moab bite, we've been telling everybody all along that's part of a bigger plan to affect to close 10,000 miles of roads and trails in Utah we're seeing the same process playing out now in Idaho and Arizona and elsewhere. There's this needs to be a growing movement that people get committed to for the long term. It's not a one-time fight over Moab. This is a long-term fight for tens of thousands of miles of awesome trails on our public lands. And so get involved, support us where you can support other groups and clubs that are doing good work. There's a lot of them out there, a lot of great clubs and, I mean, you've got Sage Riders do a lot of good work here in the swell. You have the Cast Country OHV Club has been awesome supporters there in the swell. And they ride a lot in this area. I know a lot of the groups come down from northern Utah. A lot of the overlanding camping groups, uh, if you're like, this is a high value destination for them. This is one that really should unify a lot of different user groups. And so we hope to see everybody showing up and being part of it. And we'll keep you updated. 